Hey there, this is Pastor John Ware, lead pastor of Lifehouse Newport News, a church that exists to help all people experience life change through Christ. Thank you for joining us today on our podcast. We hope it inspires you and gives you perspective to see how God is moving in your life. Now let's get to today's episode. Well, Christianese, y'all, we are going to dig into some of the stuff Christians say, but some of us have no idea what it actually means. Some of us have a somewhat idea, and some of us have been saying stuff our whole life uh, and know what it does technically mean, but at the same time doesn't know the implications it has for us. So I am praying for this series that it, so here's the thing, whether you are a seasoned believer, you've been in church your whole life, whether you're brand new to this whole thing, whether you're seeking, curious, whatever, that, that this series will, will offer you something and help you understand this whole Christian thing better. Is it true though Christians can use some words that some people are just like, what the heck? And that is true. Yeah. Like washed in the blood, but someone that doesn't know about the blood of Jesus, they can think what kind of cult is, is this? What kind of crazy people are these people that talk about being washed in the blood? You know, have you ever heard only Christians use this word, fruition? You're gonna see it come to fruition. Like you don't really ever hear a lot of people outside of the church saying that, but it's like, it's true. We can develop our own terminology that sometimes the outsiders don't understand, but even sometimes we have a hard time actually knowing and understanding what this actually means. Mean. So the first word today that we're going to look at is this word, the, or words, the gospel. The gospel. Now, here's the thing, right? All of you know that in some way, shape, or form, that probably means, well, yeah, John, we know what that means. It means good news, right? But I was always told growing up, if I didn't speak in tongues, I didn't have the full gospel. I had a half gospel, right? And then you got like gospel music, and then you got, you know, gospel, gospel Movies and, and, and it can sometimes be like, what does it actually, what does this word gospel actually mean? Is it, you know, if you don't speak in tongues or you don't believe this about the Holy Spirit, you don't have the full gospel? Like, what, what is the, the gospel and, how do, and, and what sort of part does it play in our lives? This word gospel is used as a noun or verb in scripture 130 times. And this term in biblical days in biblical times was actually used where somebody that would do just that, that would bring good news, but typically it was political or personal in its specific nature, where if we're doing it at Rome, they, 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 they would have messengers and they would come and say, good news, town, Rome has won again. Good news, city, Rome is gonna come destroy you, right? It was this kind of, of, of like, it was typically political or personal in its specific nature. Say, good news, my wife is pregnant. Good, good news, someone is getting married. It was typically political and personal in its nature. So Christians didn't actually invent this term. They actually stole it. They kind of said, okay, you've got what you think is the good news, of what you declare to be good news. It was also something that would be said declaring victory. Like I said, it would typically be war-based or political-based, so they'd say, good news, Rome won. But Christians actually took this, this word, took, took 
this term and said, okay, y'all, you'll think y'all have good news? Let me tell you about real good news that this guy named Jesus has conquered Satan, sin, death, and hell, and is ushering in the kingdom of God through, his Christ, through Jesus Christ, through his life, his death, and, resur- and resurrection. He was saying, y'all, look, let me tell you, you think you have good news. Christian said, look, let me tell y'all the real good news. Now, what, what is the gospel, though? If somebody came up to you and they said, hey, can you tell us what the gospel is? Like, Define the gospel for me. So I would do that for you, but I found this really awesome video that I was like, this guy can explain it a whole lot better than I can. So check this out, watch this. It's the full story of life crushed into four minutes. The entirety of humanity in the palm of your hand crushed into one sentence. Listen, it's intense, right? God, our sins, paying everyone life. The greatest story ever told that's hardly ever told, God. Yes, God, the maker and giver of life. And by life, I mean any and all manner and substance, seen and unseen, what can and can be touched, thoughts, image, emotions, love, atoms, and oceans, God. All of it is handiwork, one of which is masterpiece, made so uniquely that angels look curiously. The one thing in creation that was made with his imagery, the concept, so cold. It's the reason I stay bold, how God breathed in a man and he became a living soul. Formed with the intent of being infinitely, intimately fond. Creator and creation held an eternal bond. And it was placed in perfect paradise till something went wrong. A species got deceived and started lusting for his job. An odd list of complaints as if the system ain't working and used that same breath he graciously gave us to curse him. And that sin seed spread through our soul's genome. And by nature of your nature, your species, you participated in the mutiny, our, yes, our sins. It's nature inherited, black in the human heart. It was over before it started. Deceived from day one and led away by our own lust. There's not a religion in the world that doesn't agree that something's wrong with us. The question is, what is it? And how do we fix it? Are we eternally separated from a God that may or may not have existed? But that's another subject. Let's keep grinding. Besides trying to prove God is like defending a lion, homie. It'll need your help. Just unlock the cage. Let's move on on how our debt can be paid. Short and sweet. The problem is sin. Yes, sin. It's a cancer, an asthma choking out our life force, forcing separation from a perfect and holy God. And the only way to get back is to get back to perfection, but silly us. Trying to pass the course of life without referring to a syllabus. This is us. Keep up your good deeds. Chant, pray, meditate. But all of that, of course, is spraying cologne on a corpse. Or you could choose to ignore it as if something don't stink. It's like stepping in dog poop and refusing to wipe your shoe, but all of that ends with how good is good enough. Take your silly list of good deeds and line them up against perfection, good luck. That's life past your pay grade. The cost of your soul, you ain't got a big enough piggy bank, but you could give it a shot. But I suggest you throw away the list, cause even your good acts are an extension of your selfishness. But here's where it gets interesting. I hope you're closely listening. Please don't get it twisted. It's what makes our faith unique. Here's what God says as part A of the gospel. 
You can't fix yourself. Quit trying. It's impossible. Sin brings death. Give God his breath back. You owe him. Eternally separated. And the only way to fix it is someone die in your place. And that someone got to be perfect or the payment ain't permanent. So if and when you find a perfect person, get him or her to willingly trade their perfection for your sin and death in. Clearly, since the only one that can meet God's criteria is God, God sent himself as Jesus to pay the cost for us. His righteousness, his death functions as payment. Yes, payment. Wrote a check with his life, but at the resurrection, we all cheered because that means the check cleared. Pierced feet, pierced hands, blood-stained son of man, fullness, forgiveness, free passage into the promised land. That same breath that God breathed into us, God gave up to redeem us. And anyone and everyone, and by everyone, I mean everyone, who puts their faith and trust in Him, and Him alone can stand in full confidence of God's forgiveness. And here's what the promise is, that you are guaranteed full access to return to perfect unity by simply believing in Christ and Christ alone. You are receiving life. Yes, life. This is the gospel. God, our sins, paying everyone life. Come on, everybody. That is good news. That is good news of Jesus saying, look, I have won it for you. You were separated from, from me, so I'm going to come and live the life you could not live and die the death you should have died in your place and for your sin, but then rise from death and conquer Satan, sin, hell, and the grave. Our biggest need was Jesus's greatest purpose. And y'all, that is the gospel. I love what John Tyson says here. He says, the gospel is the good news that God our Father, the creator out of his great love for us, has come to rescue us from sin, Satan, death, and hell, and to renew all things in and through the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf to establish his kingdom through his people and the power of the Holy Spirit. This is for God's great glory and our profound joy. Now, Paul, he, you know, you know, Paul, he was a church planter, and, and Paul, he would go and plant and plant churches, and then he would write specific letters to these churches explaining and answering questions that they had. In 1 Corinthians 15.1, Paul, Paul here is writing to the church in Corinth, and what he says here is this, towards, towards the, the very end here, he says this, now brothers and sisters, so, so Paul was talking to the church here, he says, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, basically saying for, for the gospel I preached to you, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised again on the third day according to the scriptures. Paul said this, look, I need to remind you of the gospel so you don't forget it. Because isn't it true? We can forget the gospel, y'all. We can forget the whole reason we gather Sundays. We can forget the whole reason we, we strive to Please, God, we can forget the gospel. And what Paul says here, y'all, I'm going to remind you because it's of first importance. It's what Jesus did, not what you do, that matters to God. It was his work. And, and so we've got to make sure that we have a clear and undiluted 
gospel so we can live a gospel-centered life. This is what Paul actually says. He's, he's actually writing to, to a different church in Galatia where he actually says that there can be false gospels, that we can actually live our life for and from a gospel that really is not good news at all. And, and Paul here in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 through 9, let's, let's walk through this of what Paul tells, tells this, this church. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. So, you, so what he's saying is you've turned from the gospel that I preached to you, the undiluted gospel, and you've actually turned to a completely different gospel. He says this, which is really no gospel at all. And it's not good news, y'all. It says, evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert. He uses this word, pervert, the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, now I say to you again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. He's saying, look, you have a gospel, and what you're trying to do is you are diluting it and perverting it by putting on additives to the gospel by putting on additives to the gospel. And I'm telling you, y'all, we live in a time and period of where there are false gospels being preached, believed, and lived. And we need to be alert and we need to be aware of it so we can know what to separate what is fake and what is legit, right? We need to know what is fake and what is the true legit gospel. So I wanna quickly give you three false gospels that are being preached today and live from that I see. There's, there's a bunch of them, but I, but I just want to dive into three that I see that are there. And what, and, and here's the thing, right? I believe are perverting the true gospel of Christ. The first one is this, the gospel of works. The gospel of works. And this is what this equation looks like. The gospel, what Jesus did, plus your works equals good news. Just try harder. Just do better. Do more. The more you do, the more God will love you, right? Don't you probably hear this? You've, you've probably seen this, live, live this, where it feels like you are, just, you are just at this place where you're almost trying to please a father that you'll never be able to actually please. And some of you see God as this being this dad that will just never be, be pleased with you, happy with you, so you just keep on trying harder and doing more. But y'all, this isn't good news. It's not good news to, this is what Jesus did. Now you need to do something better, harder. You need to do more. And that's good. That's not good. That's terrible news. Why? Because, because it's conditional love. It's conditional love, y'all. It's basically like the more you do, the more God will love you. That's not love. That's manipulation. That, that isn't love. That is, con, that is not agape, unconditional love that Jesus came, he said to bring. It is conditional love. Here's the thing, you don't live for God's love, you live from God's love. You don't try to live up to, just so you can earn God's love, you live from a place of being loved. Also too, this isn't good news because it's all about you. <laughs> the source of the gospel in this is, it's, it's what Jesus did, not your good works. The good works we do do are a result of the good work that Jesus did. We don't do it to earn nothing. We do it because 
and in light of the work that Jesus already did. So it's not the good we do, it's the good Jesus did that motivates us to then do good works out of a love for him, not for his love. And this is the exact gospel that Paul was targeting here in the book of Galatians. He was saying, you are turning to this false gospel of we can earn it. And he's saying, y'all got to get rid of that stuff. Because what he was saying is, 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 is they were trying to, to bring to, together what Jesus did in the Old Testament law. So they were saying, well, if you're circumcised, that, that is what brings you closer to God. Or if you eat this specific way, or if you do these specific rituals. And what Paul was saying here is, y'all, you are not going to get any closer to God by doing those things. Because Jesus has already made you, has already gotten you as close as you could ever get. You are now in Jesus's, in God's presence because of what Jesus did, not by anything you could do. So he's trying to center them. And he's like, y'all, this good works is not good news at all. Actually, it's terrible news. Here's the thing. Jesus did the work and gave you the benefits. And this is a place that we have to live from. And this is what the good news is. The good news is Jesus did it. Now you get to receive the benefits. It almost seems jacked up, doesn't it? But that's why it's called grace. The second false gospel is the gospel of self-help. The gospel of self-help. What this basically says is it is the gospel plus a successful, better you equals good news. Where, you know, it's, it's, you know what, it's this, and I mean, you think self-help is not important in this culture, just go to Barnes and Noble. The self-help, just do these principles. Live like Dr. Phil, live like Oprah, live like Dr. Oz tells you to live. Eat more blueberries, work out more. Get brain food, eat more fish. I mean, it's just telling you, just do these things and you will have this better you and you'll just be more successful. And that is what Jesus wants. Jesus just wants you to be a better you because there's a good little you inside of there. And if you just brush off those bad habits, bad mindsets, get toxic people out of your life, learn how to be productive, efficient, get good thoughts, get good vibes, learn how to crush it and grind and work hard, you'll accomplish your dreams and get your desires. And that's what Jesus wants more than anything. Jesus wants nothing more than to glorify you. Y'all think this is crazy. But people are living from this place of God wants to glorify you. When in reality, God doesn't exist to glorify us. We exist to glorify God. Now, I'm not saying it's not a bad thing to do better habits. I believe the gospel leads us to practice better habits. It, it propels us towards stewarding our, our body so we can function at a better, a better level, a better place. But let's not think Jesus came and died so you could be glorified or you could accomplish your dreams and your wants. Why? Because what if that doesn't happen, then you'll curse them. I've lived this. You live with these expectations of God is gonna give me this and God's gonna get, and I'm gonna serve him so I can get all these things. But what happens whenever you serve God and your agenda doesn't happen? Well, God, I thought you loved me. I thought you were there. I thought it was gonna all work out. And then you realize the reason you served him wasn't for him, it was to get something from him. This gospel fails, why? Because it treats the gospel as good advice to add to your life instead of good news to reorient your life around. 
Some, some of us, we can just take the gospel, like, oh, there's good principles. Jesus was a great teacher, and he's just had great principles, and I'm just going to be nicer. The golden rule, treat others the way you want to be, be treated. Jesus never came to be a good teacher to give you good principles. He came and said, this is the gospel that you now need to reorient your whole existence around the life that Jesus came, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Also, too, this gospel isn't good news because, because honestly, just like I said, it glorifies you. you don't, God doesn't exist to glorify you. You exist to glorify God. And, and really, the truth is here is that um, you, God isn't here to get on your agenda, or God isn't here to put your agenda first. You're here to put his first. So we've got to make sure that we don't see Jesus as being this life coach that just wants us to be a better us. Jesus is here to reorient our total existence and to help us see everything differently and through his, and through his eyes. This isn't good news also because it changes you from the outside in. It's like you, you do better out there so you think that makes you better here. The core of the gospel message, just as propaganda said, is the, is the fact it was over before it started. We have this sinful nature in us that wants, that wants glory, that wants to be God, and a self-help gospel does not address the heart. It just addresses habits. And we got, and the thing is, we change not from just changing habits, we change from having our heart change, and that's what Jesus ultimately came to do, was change our hearts. Plus, to being successful and being Christ-like can be completely different. You can be super successful, but not Christ-like at all. You could have great habits that make you productive, but not be Christ-like at all. Being, being Christ-like is a, is a life of self-sacrifice and self-denial and surrender, not success. So we've got to know this gospel is not good news. Why? Because it glorifies us. It, it, it exalts us when honestly, just, just, just as John the Baptist said in John 3, 3.30, we should be decreasing and he should be increasing. Next, the gospel of prosperity, the prosperity gospel, as you've, prob as you've probably seen it. This is the whole thing. Jesus wants to save you, but then he wants to give you health and wealth. You, he's going to give you a bigger house. He's going to give you a Benz. You shouldn't and not get sick. You should never be sick. And if you are sick, then there is a problem. And, and here's the thing. I believe God can heal whenever he wants. God, I believe if you practice biblical kingdom financial principles, you will be financially blessed. I'm not saying that you're not, but let's stop thinking that Jesus died to make you rich. Let's stop thinking Jesus died on the cross, rose from death, just so you could have a Benz and a nice house. This is not good news. Why? Because it makes God out to be a genie. What did that, you know, what was that, that movie that just came out? Aladdin, right? Where it's, it's like, what you see in that movie is genies are all powerful, but they can be controlled. They have all the power, but they can be controlled. And this is what the prosperity gospel is, is that they believe God is all powerful, yet he can be controlled by just rubbing them the right way. If you just, you know, I'm going to uh, say this prayer the right way, and I'm going to give this amount of money, and I'm going to, you know, and, 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 
really the problem with this is it can fill our giving with impure motives where now we do things so God will give us something back instead of it being we have already been given the gospel so we give our time, our talent, and treasure because of the gospel that has already been given to us. It's not we don't give anything to God to get something from God. We give because we've already been given to by God. But the, pros, but the prosperity gospel says to us, give and, 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 and God just wants to make you rich when it's like, honestly, the greatest deterrent that we see Jesus talks about the greatest opposition to faithfulness to him is your money and your stuff. So why would Jesus want to give you more of what is going to tempt you the greatest? I'm not saying he won't give it to you. I want y'all to be blessed so y'all can be generous. But at the same time, saying Jesus died just to get you rich, just to get you stuff, is missing the whole point of the gospel. It is so you can be generous and take your time, your talent, and treasure and give it back to them and say, God, do whatever you want to do through it. Some of y'all are going to be rich. God bless you. Some of you aren't, some of you aren't, aren't going to be rich. That's, that's, that's cool, too. You're not righteous or, uh, or unrighteous by what's in your bank account. Right? The point is, is are you going to be faithful and steward what God entrusts to you? And some of you here, God's going to entrust a lot. Some of you here, God is going to trust a whole lot. But the bottom line is this. It doesn't matter. God doesn't see how much you have. You know, he says, are you going to be faithful and steward what I've given you? And the gospel is that we give and we're generous in response to God's generosity to us already instead of it being, well, I'm going to give this so God. Why? Because then God becomes this cosmic stock, stock market that we just invest in for the purpose of getting something back. Like I said, I'm not saying God won't, won't bless you. I don't believe, or here's the thing, I believe that sowing and reaping is, is, is a kingdom and eternal principle. You can see it in, cre in creation. I believe it's definitely true, but that is a byproduct of the gospel, not a, you know, saying, okay, now Jesus died for this. Jesus died to save your soul, not to fill your bank account. So, these are some of the false gospels. Now, let me tell you why the gospel is good news. Let me tell you why this gospel is truly good news. Number one, it gives you a new identity. It gives you a new identity. The gospel is good news because it changes the very core of who you are. When you receive by grace through faith what Jesus did and, and, and accomplished for you, you, you are changed from an enemy of God to a friend of God, from a spiritual orphan to a child of God, from someone who is spiritually dead to somebody who is spiritually alive. And this isn't because of your good works. This is because of Jesus's good, good work. And here's the thing, right? What I tell people all the time, because we can get this whole thing back, or we can think that our identity in Christ is achieved when it's received. We don't get our identity in as being children of, of God by achieving more or by achieving a certain status. We get it by simply receiving it by grace, meaning we can't earn it through faith, and we simply receive it. Now, you're like, John, that sounds too easy. This is America. You accomplish, you earn, you, you get it, you work harder, you achieve, you pull yourself up by your bootstraps. 
It's what you do. But I'm telling you, one of the greatest hindrances to people receiving the gospel is that it's so easy. Jesus said this, you've got to have faith like a what? Child. It's not that hard, y'all. It's hard because it's easy. It's hard because it's easy. We think, well, no, 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 there, there's something I got to do. There, there, there's, I just, I, I don't want, I'm, I'm, not, I'm that kind of person. I don't want to receive anything free. Right? And we can be like that. We don't want help. We got it. But the gospel, what makes it good news and what makes it grace is the fact of it's so easy, you simply receive it instead of achieving it. And this is what God says is good news, church. This is good news for you. You can stop striving so hard. You can stop trying to manipulate God loving you. And you can just receive it. I love Paul writes this here, Romans 8. He says this, for those who are led by the, by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship or daughtership. And by we cry, Abba, basically saying, look, you are now, when you receive Christ, the Spirit of God enters your spirit and you go from being a slave to sin to being now someone that is a child of God. And now you start to call God Father, Daddy, Abba. Abba. It says the spirit itself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may share in his glory. What this is saying, co-heirs with Christ, basically in everything that Christ, what the, everything that Christ has is now yours. And y'all church, there, there's nothing, nothing, I think my job as a pastor really is to help you understand and see who the heck you already are. more than anything. Really, I believe this whole journey of following Christ is you seeing and reveling in and having this revelation in your heart, mind, soul, and spirit. This is who you already are in Christ. You're not trying to earn anything. You're just trying to learn and see who the heck you already are. Who you already are. You start living from who you already are instead of living for who you're trying to be. Because some of y'all are striving so hard to, to, to just earn an identity and have God love you. And what I would tell you today is you just need to chill out and calm down and just know you're already a son and daughter of God and start living from who you already are instead of trying to achieve who you're trying to be. Because y'all, it is stressful. That's why it's not good news because you'll never do enough. You'll never do enough. So just chill out, calm down. Jesus did the work. Live from who you already are. This even changes how we talk two different people about whenever they're doing stupid stuff. When you have Christians that are going out and living the way that, and doing things that, that they shouldn't be doing, instead of it being like, aren't you stupid? God hates you. You should know better. Now it's, this isn't who you are anymore. Yo, this isn't who you are anymore. You don't need to get sloshed drunk to cope with your crazy life. That's why you've got the Holy Spirit. You're better than that. You are Christ's kid now. You are God's child. You don't need to sleep with anybody and everybody to fill this need you have inside of your heart. Now you can say, I've got God to fill that need and I've got the church to come alongside and be community for you. You don't need to, to go and sell yourself to someone that doesn't care and just want something from, from you. You are God's child now. You don't need that. You're better than that.
It changes the way, because instead of telling people, do this, and then you get this, and then, and then you become better, it's, this is who you already are. Just live up to it. Don't just live up to it. It changes the way we see everything, knowing that you have an identity. Our world craves to know who the heck it is, right? Our world's, what is identity? Who, who am I? Why am I on this planet? This, God answers one of our deepest needs to know our true identity. It is it's not, it's not what we do, it's not what we have. Our true identity is found in who Christ says we are. Secondly, the gospel gives us a new family. We got a, a, we got a world that's craving, craving community and, and craving relationship and craving connection. And why I believe the gospel is such good news and Jesus knew this it's because when you have a new identity, it breeds you into a new family, and that's called the church, the body of Christ, to, to where now, instead of you being this person, an orphan living on street corner, now you're saying, you know what, I have a family that's full, I mean, look at us, y'all, different ages, races, socioeconomic status, statuses, there are so many differences here, but what makes us different is the fact of where it's not built on this blood, it's built on Christ's blood. It is his blood that we all now have in common and we bring all of our weirdness and all of our idiosyncrasies and, and all of our sin and all of our crazy lives and now we bring it in and we say we are now the body of Christ and now our core principle becomes how can we as you know, corporately, but also individually, how can we all now come and live up to this new identity that we have in Christ? And that's the greatest purpose of the church is to help you become more like Christ so we, as the body of Christ, become more like Christ. That's the whole purpose, y'all. But the thing is, you get a new family. You get a new family, right? Because, you know, I think it's really true. The church many times treats each other as distant cousins, Let's show up at a family reunion, right? We can treat each other as, as kind of being like, here comes Cindy. Oh, Lord. Crazy woman. You know, or here comes Steve. Whew. He needs help. Instead of saying that, we say, these are my brothers and sisters. They're not distant cousins. They're not the crazy uncle. They're not the crazy cousin. Christ actually says we now become brothers and sisters. And what do brothers and sisters do? I've got three sons, they're brothers. They fight all the time, all the time. It was so funny, yesterday we were driving to, to a soccer game, which actually, Lifehouse Newport News won the Spirit Award, and we received a $250 check yesterday for the One City Marathon, and, and we got recognized at the LC Lions Bridge game, and, and they gave us a big check. You, you can actually see it out there. But it was awesome. And really, that is because of y'all serving. We had, over one, we had over 100 volunteers. And they voted Lifehouse Church to have the most spirit rooting and cheering and serving at the One City Marathon. So just give it up for yourselves, man. That's an awesome thing, isn't it? But we're driving yesterday. And I've got my oldest son, Jackson, sitting in the middle seat. And I've got my three-year-old son. And Jackson's antagonizing him and being funny. And my three-year-old just punches him in the face. It's like, bah! And Jackson's like, ah! what? You know, but then 
one hour later, they're kicking the soccer ball back and forth at the soccer game, right? That's what families do, y'all. Like, we've got to stop thinking that when we come into the church, it's going to be all nice and clean. It's going to be messy and dirty. There's going to be fighting. There's going to be some backbiting. There, there's going to be gossip. There's going to be stuff going on. But yo, we've got to know that ultimately we are brothers and sisters and not distant cousins that are coming together for the common purpose of dealing with ourselves and, and, and corporately becoming like Christ as individually we become like Christ. And knowing, y'all, but, but here's the thing, we've got to stop seeing the church as just some distant family that you don't need to be a part of. No, the church is part of God's plan to help you become more like Christ. This is what Peter says, 1 Peter 2.9. It says this. It says, but you are a chosen people. And this is, is Peter here talking to, 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 to these believers scattered in many different regions. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We are a chosen people, a, royal, a holy people that are saying, this is who we were before Jesus, but this is who we are now because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's taken us from darkness to light. He has shown us what life truly should be lived like from God's viewpoint and perspective. The church isn't a place you just attend and consume content and programs. It's a family that you join and partner with and contribute to for the betterment, Christ-likeness of each other and the forwardness of the gospel, fam. And that's what I pray you will see today. The church isn't here just, just to give you content and information and data and cool sermons and stuff like that. Ultimately, the church is here to provide a community of people that sharpen you, that challenge you, that, that you get mad at, that will serve, serve you, that we all come together with our brokenness and jacked upness, and we come together and serve each other for the betterment of ourselves and for the forwardness of the gospel in this community. The gospel gives you a new identity. It gives you a new family, and it gives you a new purpose. Lindsay, you can go up just to hold me accountable. Thirdly, the gospel gives you a new purpose. Y'all, you know what's the second best-selling book of all time, The Purpose-Driven Life? Behind the Bible, which is the best-selling book by far of all time, the second best-selling book of all time is The Purpose-Driven Life. Why? People crave purpose. Science will never deduct why you're on this planet. Science might do a decent job of telling you how you got on this planet. You can look at charts and you can look at scientific this and scientific that and you can say all that, well, this is where it came from, possibly it came from, okay, 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 great. But science will never deduct or give you purpose. But innate in all of us is this desire to know why the heck we're on this planet. Why the heck we're breathing, right? We want to know. And what I believe the gospel does is it gives you a purpose. Your, your purpose is then to, as you have received the gospel, your purpose then becomes you now are a giver of the gospel with your time, your talent. The final thing Jesus said was, Matthew 28, 18, go into all the world and make disciples, make followers, tell people about me, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He told them, look, what I've given to you, go and give 
other people. You say, yeah, John, but I've got a job and I've got family and I got kids and I can't go and be some missionary over in Africa slaving away and with these unknown people group. That's not the point of it. Jesus wasn't saying everyone go and just be missionaries. He was saying, now go into your context and whatever that context is, your job, your family, your home, your sports teams, your poker tournaments, your pool tournaments, whatever you do, go and be the hands and feet of Jesus to those people and help them see through your life the greatness and goodness of this gospel that God gave. Go. So, so now, instead of saying, well, I've got time, talent, and treasure to benefit me and, and uplift me, now you've got time, talent, and treasure that you now say, God, it's yours. Use my time, my talent, and treasure to glorify your name through it. Through, through me, and that is now your overarching purpose for your life. The gospel helps you see everything differently. The gospel is sort of, of lenses that you put on, and it shows you what life is truly meant to be lived like. That's how deep this gospel goes. It goes down to your emotions. It goes down into your innermost thoughts. It goes down into your heart, and it does its thing. And I don't know if you've ever seen these videos of these people seeing color for the, for the first time. I want to show you one and check this out. Sorry, Lindy. <laughs> Called you up a little early. And what? He thinks he knows what it is. If I was going to guess. Don't guess. You're going to guess wrong. You're going to guess wrong. Really? Yeah. Birthday baby from all of us. Happy birthday. What is this? Put them on. Put them on. Put them on. The sunglasses. How does it look? Oh, that's weird. Look at the balloons. <laughs> Can you see with our eyes now, baby? Can you, what colors you see? Those. You see colors now? Now you have rose-colored glasses, baby. Now you see with our eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Who did that? All of us. Every time I watch that, I say I'm not going to cry. Every time. so beautiful when people see things the way they were really meant to be. And what I believe the gospel does more than anything is it becomes lenses you put on She said, honey, now you see with our eyes. And I just believe that what God says to us is when you have the true, unfiltered, un un undiluted gospel of Jesus Christ, 
what God says is now you see with my eyes. Now you see who you were meant to be. Now you see others differently. Instead of being people you use and abuse, those are people I serve. Now you see the world differently. This isn't a world that we just consume. This is a world that we're called to love and serve. The gospel says to you now through the gospel, you see with my eyes. You know, let me tell you what my desire is. It is for this church to be a people that has the eyes of the gospel. And we see ourselves as having a new identity, a new family, a new purpose. We see we see others in the world differently. Say they're not people to be used and abused or people to be served. And as we receive and live from the real and true and legit gospel, we don't try to add anything to it. We don't try to put our good works in there. We don't try to just be a better us. We don't just try to get something from God. God's already done it. We live from a place already accepted by God and loved by God and our purpose is now to show the world this and tell the world we've got good news but not just say it loudly live it loudly thank you again for joining us on the Lifehouse Newport News podcast if you're ever in the Hampton Roads area We'd love for you to join us at one of our live worship experiences at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. at the Regal Kiln Creek Movie Theaters. Until then, feel free to check us out at www.theaterchurchnn.com or on any social media platform. Thank you so much, and God bless.